Hey everyone, welcome back to Every Version Ever. My name is Jonathan North, and today we're going to be looking at one of the strangest versions of The Secret Garden, one that certainly takes the most creative liberties with the source material, though not always in a bad way. This is a film from 2017 still called The Secret Garden, but it reimagines pretty much everything about the story, putting it into a steampunk setting. Joining me for this episode is my cousin Sarah, who I was kind of surprised actually wanted to watch this version. This one is definitely not as strange as the Czechoslovakian Alice in Wonderland, which you can find that episode early on in season one of the podcast, but this was another situation where I just assumed that this version would be too out there for her, and that I ended up watching it alone. And both times she surprised me and was totally up for it. Anyway, like with previous Secret Garden episodes I did with Sarah, this was recorded in 2019, which is normally not an issue, but I'm not sure what was going on when we recorded this. We seemed to have some audio troubles, which I did not notice at the time, and I don't know if the microphone was unplugged or what. Anyway, I've done my best to fix those issues in editing, but if there's anything about it that's noticeable, I guess this is just me apologizing in advance. Next episode will be back to present day, so hopefully we won't have any audio issues. Though, I am recording this in advance, so... I hope I have not just jinxed myself. Anyway, that's all for now. Let's get on with this episode of Every Version Ever, looking at the 2017 steampunk reimagining of The Secret Garden. Today we're going to be talking about one of the weirdest versions out there, probably. At least one of the most different versions. Mm-hmm. This one is a steampunk version. We had to do at least one weird version for this <laughs> one. Come on. This one was just, I think it was in the, within the last couple of years. I don't remember the exact year. It'll be in the title and description. But it's made, it looks modern. And it has decent special effects. Mm-hmm. Really decent costumes. But the acting is a bit subpar. Okay. This film. Maybe this is just homeschoolers. I don't know. But this film is what a bunch of your friends got together. And one of them wrote the script. And one of them had a bunch of costumes on hand. And then they all got together and acted it out for 89 minutes. And no, it it's not going to win an Oscar. But... It was okay to sit through. It's okay. It's okay yeah. to watch it. It's okay. We started watching another one, and I just couldn't stand that one very very well. So we switched to this one. And while it's not something that I'm likely to be sitting around rewatching, rewatching, it makes it should make for a happily interesting review. <laughs> yeah, this one was very watchable, but. Moderately. (laughs) Very watchable in a what are they going to do next kind of way. Sure. Especially toward the end when it just got really bizarre. But it definitely wasn't one that I'm going to recommend as, like, if you love The Secret Garden, you have to watch this version. It's so good. I'd say if you are absolutely in love with steampunk, and you're having a party and you just want it on in the background and you're not going to pay that much attention to it, then it'll totally go with your vibe. We should probably go over some of the weird changes they made to make it fit into the steampunk world. First off, she's going along in like a little Red Riding Hood type outfit and a gas mask. (laughs) Which I actually really liked. It seemed like something out of Doctor Who. 
And he knows all about that. But apparently this was very Doctor Who-esque. So that's another thing. If you like that, you might like this. I felt like watching this, if they had had, like, proper British actors and maybe done, like, one more draft of the script, this could have fit into the world of Doctor Who. That was another thing that was a little bit odd because it was like they were keeping some of the tone, some of the structure of the language in the book but most of them had an american accent so if you have martha delivering mm-hmm. a line that martha from the book would might have said with this t- same type of grammar structure mm-hmm. it doesn't sound right with an american accent yeah like anyway an american wouldn't exclaim core blimey in an american accent that's not something that she said but like it's that kind of thing where it's something that it's very British to say, but if an American said it, it would sound very wrong. Right. So, Misselthwaite is a factory, not a glorious manor. And. A very rundown factory. Like pipes everywhere, spider webs everywhere. The only guy who actually has a British accent is Ben Weatherstaff, which is kind of odd. And I I thought he was the best actor, but I can't tell if he was the best actor because he was the best actor, or if his British accent was fooling me. (laughs) So the British accent does have an effect on us, just so you know. In America, anybody in Britain watching? Yeah. Um, She's older than in the book, and she has an attitude, and her parents are still alive. At the beginning. But you know, you know what I just occurred to me? They never settled whether her parents were ever coming back. They had just disappeared over the ocean. That's true. I assumed that they died, but they never did say for sure. Yeah, which is kind of an important point. People? Well, there were a couple other things that were kind of important that seemed to leave dangling at the end, too. But Yeah, the friends wrote this, and they had the costumes, and they got together and didn't think through everything. So yeah, the aesthetic is is kind of it's dingy factory Victorian meets electro well not I guess electronics but everything the steam powered stuff mm-hmm. and I'm only somewhat familiar with steampunk so this is getting me more familiar. <laughs> the Robin is like a little flying robot and there used to be a lot more of them and he's the only one left that's one of the things that mr crane got rid of now right off the bat you're like well how do you know you might be thinking how on earth does this work with a secret garden well lily mrs craven but she's referred to as lily throughout this even though in the book her name is lilius so it's if you see it written down later, though, it says Lilius. Which, just, I guess they called her Lilius. Which is well. interesting because there were certain aspects of this story that really were drawn from the book mm-hmm. very strongly. Her garden is a room for her inventions, and she invented mechanical plants that looked like they came from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> now... She's a beautiful brunette and apparently um, has a lot of trouble having children. And in the scene where she is 
trapped inside of her inventing room because this was how she died. She got trapped in there. This, you well, know, the robins supposedly trapped her in there, and that's why there was only one robin left because Mr. Craven had well, them all destroyed. Well, he down. he said that the he blamed them for not saving her. Like oh, it was yeah, like the, it's like the rooms went into lockdown. This yeah. is the story that they give you at the beginning, and the rob and he felt that the robin should have saved her. So basically, basically she gets gassed to death in her garden room. But at the time, you know, in the book, she was expecting a baby. She does not look like she's expecting a baby, but yet Colin exists, and Mary can hear the crying noises, which don't really sound like they're coming from the person playing Colin. No, they sounded kind of creepy and distorted. I thought it sounded like a cat ghost, and Sarah added in heat. <laughs> so if you know what that sounds like, yeah. Because later on, when she finds Colin, he's a teenager like her. I mean, they look like they're like 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they were supposed to be 16, because some of the things that they said made me think they were supposed to be playing younger than they were, especially the whole thing with the doll, like giving her the doll to comfort her. is like, I mean, she's 16. I don't know how good, how much this doll is going to comfort her. Actually, that's very accurate to, to females. <laughs> okay. You know, if anybody wants to give me a teddy bear, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. No, Dickens in here and, and Martha wants to be her friend. And Martha gives her this doll that was supposedly coming through Dickens. This doll, is it belongs in a horror movie or something? <laughs> it looked like... A doll from the Ugly Doll series, except it was too ugly and got kicked out of the Ugly Dolls club. It's like the Ugly Dolls bullied it out of the group. <laughs> they shamed it out. Like, there's a limit to ugly guys and you're too much. <laughs> like, I, I really wonder how people who love Ugly Dolls would feel about this one. Because it has an eye hanging down and it's all filthy looking. It's missing and, an arm and a leg. Well, one, one arm is a spring. spring. <laughs> And it's just, it that's not comforting. It might comfort you to burn it and know that it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but other than that, anyway, it comes into play later, believe it or not. I didn't think that it would. That was one thing I didn't see coming. But one of the things that you learn, the key that the, the robin leads her to, because the robin befriends her, has a little lily on it. And so does the doll, but they're like these little metallic lilies, and that's that was Lily's maker's mark. Well, later on, when she's with Colin, you see that he has one of those on the back of his neck. So I was already wondering if he was an invention of Lily's rather than being her natural and she thought Child. of this before we even saw the maker's mark on the back of his neck. Did I? Yes. I thought I, I they thought... hadn't even gotten in the room yet, and you were like, "See a robot too?" Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, I didn't realize I was that far ahead of it. 
mind is a funny thing. Anyway. Um, and the doctor is, like in the book, he is a relative of them. Only in this one, he's, you know, has earrings and leather pants and he's evil. Rather than just being moderately selfish. You know, if you if you don't want to know how this ends, don't watch this. Because we're already giving stuff away. Yeah. So... We're just going to give everything away. And if you watch it, it's your own fault. <laughs> okay. Colin wants to go to the garden room. He wants to get well. There isn't a big to-do about that. It, it happens pretty quickly that he wants yeah, to get well. Yeah, it all happens really fast. Like, the whole story happens within, like, three days. Right. Rather than the stretched-out time that normal life takes. Mm -hmm. And after he goes to the garden once, the doctor says that he died and that it's basically Mary's fault. But he doesn't want anybody to go and see the body. Well, she tries to go and see the body before she leaves because she's going to run away now. And she sets the doll down on this empty bed like the body is gone well she goes and looks at these drawings these sort of architect looking plans inventors plans that are posted on the wall and realizes that colin is a robot and rips the little thing off of the wall gets the doll meanwhile back in another room I don't know if it's happening at the same time. Dickon repairs the robin because the doctor has destroyed the last robin as well. And he's able to tap into the memory of the robin and realizes that it was the doctor who killed Lily. It wasn't an accident. And he was out to get Colin and presumably Mary and Archie as well so that he could get the factory. I guess we maybe, I don't know if we mentioned it. He, like in the book, the doctor is Mr. Craven's cousin. And, so he yeah, would stand to yeah. inherit everything. Yeah, that's, so that's the point of him trying to kill people off. They manage to find Colin, and he's in this steam-powered chair that they had dug out for him to use. She's fake, getting all this fake emotion, how upset she is. It's very Nobody fake. was a very good crier in this film. Pity. Colin was absolutely ridiculous crying. <laughs> anyway, she sets the doll down next to him and it turned and the doll starts like glowing blue. It was like this was the key to him being well and whole and, For and some being reason. able to walk and it's that kind of makes sense if the robot you're inventing is a tiny child, but when it's... I don't get that, but anyway. I wouldn't want to be dependent on a doll for my existence, but hey, there are worse things, I guess. Anyway, he's well and whole now. Yippee. And you see the doctor trying to run away, and the robins heading him off at the pass, and Dickon was heading him off at the pass, wasn't he? I think so. And then Mrs. Medlock and Ben Weatherstaff. Ben Weatherstaff. 
But he's never actually like put in handcuffs or anything. It's just like, oh, he's been caught. At some point, Mr. Craven comes home and it's all happy. It's basically about the same, it's basically all happening about the same time. And then he wants to, you know, he's all happy about Colin and he wants to see every part of the garden. Well, th throughout this movie, they treat this garden like, you know, they want to explore. They want to explore this garden or experience this garden or whatever about this garden. And it's, what is this, like a 15 by 15 room? It's smaller than the room we're sitting in, that's for sure. And, like, unless there are a bunch of hidden compartments, there are only so many... You could look under every leaf of fake vine that they have and, and you know, and they were holding, you know, she was like holding up little pots or something, you know, they have these little fake, I'm assuming they were fake red flowers and it's like, the room was not magical. Like, if somebody had had a bigger budget mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit broader imagination having a room filled with mechanical plants, flowers, whatever, could be more interesting. Yeah, but this was the sparsest garden I've ever seen. Like, it would be kind of nice if you were able to grow some plants inside of your room, but it was not like, oh my goodness, this magical garden. It, mm -hmm. That's what the 93 version is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty much how it ends. Yeah. So, as I said at the beginning, if you adore steampunk, this might do something for you. And if you enjoy... Bad acting? Homes homeschool homemade aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you need the nostalgic trip. Then that might do something for you as well. But if you're looking for a really good movie, watch the 93 version. <laughs> There's no like steampunk, that. but it's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, this one isn't really moving or anything. It's just sort of interesting. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. So I'm sure it took a fair amount of work as it was, but... Probably. I'm sure the crew wasn't that big. They didn't have much of a budget for set design, so I doubt somebody they spent just, much for crew. Somebody just really wanted to make a steampunk version of this. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's pretty much it. Yep. Thanks again to Sarah for joining me for this episode. She'll be back in the future for more in this series on The Secret Garden, as well as other books, like our next series, where we'll be looking at, drumroll please, Little Women. Back in the intro to the season, I teased that I chose the month of March for a reason, and this is that reason, Little Women follows the lives of the March sisters, so I figured this would be the perfect month to debut the series. Yeah, that's a little cheesy, but I thought it'd be funny. Anyway, Sarah will be joining me for at least one episode next month, but to kick off the series, I'll be joined by Rachel Wagner, and we're going to be talking about what many people consider to be the definitive version of the story, the 1994 version starring Winona Ryder, Christian Bale, Claire Danes, and even a very young Kirsten Dunst. This movie is absolutely packed with recognizable faces, 
and it's seemingly one of the quintessential versions of that story that so many Little Women fans cite as their favorite adaptation, so I figured it would be a good one to kick off the series with. Okay, that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time for a brand new series on every version ever, looking at Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. Thanks for listening. <laughs>